welcome to the Commons Cast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you find something meaningful in our teaching this week. Head to commons.church for more information. Generally over at Kensington, but so happy to be here in Inglewood with you today. Now, I want to begin by thanking you for two things. First, some of you have joined us for First Steps this fall, and we created First Steps to help people find some inroads into the community. We know that it's not always easy to walk into a church and figure out kind of where it comes from and what makes it tick and how you can actually find your own groove here. And a couple of weeks ago, I was leading step one of First Steps over in Kensington, which is all about the backstory of common. And at the start of the discussion, we took a second to introduce ourselves and to mention our own background when it comes to faith communities. So people went around the room and named these backgrounds, Catholic, Anglican, Chinese Alliance, no church background whatsoever, a variety of Baptists, Alliance, Alliance, uh, Presbyterian, Russian Orthodox, Pentecostal. I mean, like that is wild, right? It is a minor miracle to make a church out of those kinds of backgrounds, especially, especially in light of larger church history. And the church's past, very real blood has been shed over differences like this. Here at Commons, we are living something, I think, miraculous right now. You sit here with so many different backgrounds and you choose this variety instead of assimilation and uniformity, you actually choose this. So whether you realize it or not, you're already living into the name of our new series called Making Room, which is all about hospitality. And last week, Scott highlighted hospitality in the story of Jesus healing a man with physical disability, thanks to his very cool friends who lower him through a roof. And Scott drew out this really neat point about the enlivening nature of good conflict, which is one of the ways to view Jesus' back and forth with the Pharisees who witness a healing. Real hospitality doesn't come without some mess sometimes, especially when we consider how our journeys are shaped in such different ways. So if you missed Scott's message, you should 100% go back and listen to it online through our podcast or, of course, our YouTube channel. Well, today in our Making Room series, we are headed for another well-known gospel story in Luke, and it's the story of Jesus at a Pharisee's house just having dinner, and the whole crowd is surprised by who shows up and what she does when she gets there. So we're talking about hospitality as attention to others, and I was going to call this sermon, Who is Becky and What's Up With Her Hair? 
which, ah, uh, yes, you may have caught, is a Beyonce reference, and that might click for some of you a little bit more later, but that, of course, takes too much pop culture explanation, which I am usually here for, but maybe we'll just skip that this time. So instead, I'm calling this sermon, Let Down Your Hair, and we are going to talk about attention to power, a prophet, and a parable, the next step in hospitality and peace peace to go. So let's take a moment and breathe deep, settle in, and pray together. Please join me. Loving God, as we take a moment to be still, we are mindful of the places in our lives where we sense welcome, Thank you for the gift of those places. Relationships where we are seen and heard. Jobs where we thrive. Spaces in our communities where we are known and we know others. We are also mindful of the places where welcome is just not on offer. Places of fear and judgment in relationships places of division and hostility near and far, places of difference and scarcity that turn us into threats instead of collaborators and friends. So may we sense an invitation from you today, Jesus, to pay close attention to our differences, to reach past them toward the image of God in one another. Spirit, you are here healing and restoring all that is broken and making us more whole. And for all of this, we give thanks. Amen. Now, I mentioned at the top that I actually wanted to thank you for two things. So here is the second. Thank you to everyone who took a bit of time to listen to the first and now second episodes of Between Sundays, a new podcast we're making at Commons hosted by yours truly. And Between Sundays is all about finding the sacred in the everyday. And the format of the podcast is long form interview. So I prep a whole pile of questions, but the conversations with people connected to Commons, they're not scripted. And that's kind of the thrill of it, right? Our first episode is a conversation with Emmanuel Simon. He's a local poet and a rapper who goes by the stage name Oliver Throne. And our second episode is with Ben Putt of Monogram Coffee. And you can find those and those to come wherever you get your podcasts. And we drop new episodes every other week until Christmas Day. So that is my little Christmas gift to you. You're welcome. And then that will be the end of season one, which is all about the creative urge. And I have loved chatting about what these episodes did to you, like how they took you places you really didn't expect to go. For example, this text message from my aunt. She's referring to the first conversation with Emmanuel, which is, has a bunch of hip hop reference and culture woven into it. So this is what she wrote. 
I put your podcast on before Dolly Parton's America, which by the way is a new podcast and it is fabulous. So she continues, I am impressed, but I wasn't sure I would listen to the entire thing based on the overall subject matter, but it was interesting and I loved it and it makes me want to learn more about the hip hop culture even though I'm not attuned to the sound. Well done, my dear. You are a great host. I look forward to the next episode. Congratulations. I mean, do you all have an aunt like that? Because it is awesome. Well, I share this with you first, again, to thank you for listening, second, to invite you to listen, but third, and more importantly, to bring us into the story that we dive into today in our series on hospitality. Because in both the podcast and the gospel narrative, we have these worlds colliding, and we'll notice the power of personal stories to cross boundaries. So we need to know who's who at the start of the story, and we get some great introductions here in Luke chapter seven. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So all across the New Testament, the kingdom of God is pictured as this banquet. It's a place where everyone feasts and belongs. So again and again in the Gospel of Luke, we find Jesus around a table, eating and drinking with all kinds of societal riffraff and bigwigs. And I feel like those words are a bit strange, but I went with them anyways, riffraff and bigwigs. So let's do a compare and contrast with the people in the scene. First, the Pharisees. Now, there is a long interpretive tradition that paints Pharisees as bad guys. In fact, the writer of Luke sometimes hints at it himself. Now, Luke's gospel was written and shared during a time of intense persecution for the early church. So it could be that the writer attempts to shift the empire's scrutiny off of the church and like onto the Jewish leaders. And what we get with this shade throwing is interpretation that casts Pharisees unfairly as enemies of Jesus. But in this story itself, like here at this table, there's something different happening. Here we have a Pharisee who offers genuine hospitality. And the host is given a name, it's Simon. He's made personal. And he proves himself to be a competent interlocutor. Okay, let's take a look at the woman at the start of the story. A version of the story exists in all four gospels, but with some variation. In the other three gospels, the story of a woman pouring fragrant oil on Jesus is located closer to the passion narrative. So her action in the other gospels is interpreted as anointing for burial. But here, 
It's too early in the gospel for that. Here, her action belongs to this moment. And the writer lets us know that this is a bombshell of a story. The woman is introduced not with a name, but with the Greek phrase kai edu, which is an imperative phrase, meaning like, look, or behold, or basically like, check this chick out. And for your information, I'm not actually for women being called chicks, but the setting here hardly preferences the experience of women, nor does it consider the societal reasons women are forced to do what they do just to survive. But still, this woman, she surprises everyone. As Jesus and the company around the table recline in Hellenistic fashion, meaning that they lounge on their sides and they point their feet away from the table, the woman barges in and she throws herself at Jesus' feet. And she's pretty out of line here. And we have to wonder, right? Like, what does she know? Like, what does she know that the others don't? Like, what is this force inside of her that drives her to ignore custom and ignore limitation and ignore the rules that kept her far, far away from a meal like this? So here are a few other questions for you. Whom do you identify with in the scene? Have you been that good rule follower? You know, the person who did everything right. Have you hidden out in the rules of society, the rules that give you the power because you are able-bodied or because the color of your skin doesn't really disqualify you from anything? or because you did exactly what was expected of you. You found a nice partner, you settled down, you put on a happy face. Or have you had to carve out your own way to get what you want and what you need? Maybe you've had to like claw your way into a place that doesn't want you there and tries pretty hard to keep you away. Maybe you don't look or think like people who seem to have a much easier time of it. Maybe life has thrown an unreasonable amount of struggle your way. Well, guess what? None of those differences really matter at this table. You can have a lot of power and you can have what feels like none And you can both be drawn to Jesus without always knowing why or what's to come. This prophet is anything but predictable. So the powerful Pharisee and the powerless woman, they are both welcome here. And the story continues. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, the English translation flattens out what is going on here. In Greek, the sentence starts with the verb horao, and it means having seen. So the verse starts more like this, like, having seen now this Pharisee. 
And the verb harao has this metaphorical meaning to indicate like an inward spiritual perception, like a deep knowing. So what do Simon's like spiritual spidey senses perceive when this woman barges in with all of this emotion and Jesus just lets her like weep and wipe his feet? In Simon's mind, a prophet doesn't violate norms like this. And as soon as Simon thinks this very private thought, Jesus addresses him. And the irony here is that of course Jesus knows who and what this woman is, like inside and out. But what's also true is that Jesus knows who and what Simon is inside and out. So Jesus calls Simon out, but this is so great because it's not this scathing rebuke. Jesus just tells a story. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, Simon said. Jesus says there were two people who owed a bunch of money to the same creditor. One owed as much as he could make as a leather maker or a field worker in the day, and the other debtor owed one-tenth of that. And neither of them had the money to pay what they owed, so the creditor forgave both men their debts. With that, Jesus looks right at Simon and asks which of these two men will love the creditor more? And Simon says with some reluctance, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Ah, Jesus says, you have judged correctly. So with just a simple story, the prophet brings together all that is divided, the debtor and the creditor, the fact and the fiction, the inside and the outside. Another way to say this is that Jesus uses story to build a bridge between difference. And sometimes our spirituality is so wrapped up in what might be right or wrong, who might be saved or damned, how to be blessed and not cursed, that we miss the point that the parable makes through a story. Jesus brings a fractured world together. Jesus says, can you imagine love like debt forgiveness? Like it is lavish, it is undeserved, it is always on offer. So let the story be your teacher. Sometimes you give mercy, you forgive a brutal betrayal. You build healthy boundaries and then you offer a second chance. You choose kindness when someone insists on cruelty. And sometimes you actually receive the mercy. It's your debt that is forgiven. It's getting the help that you weren't sure would ever find you. It's love that arrives after a long stretch of loneliness. In this prophet's story, one mercy is no better than the other. But just because Jesus tells a little story doesn't mean Jesus is there to sugarcoat what's going on in the room because there's more to the story to come. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now, I have a bit of a bone to pick with many interpreters of this passage because I think they get a little bit lazy. What I mean is they say, oh, look, look at this dull Pharisee. He's so stingy with his hospitality. But you know what? Simon is not bad at hospitality. He's just conventional. After all, he invites Jesus to his house. He feeds him. People are reclined at Simon's table. And years after this scene, the Talmud will teach about good Hebrew hospitality. And the rabbis call it a shell. And that Hebrew word goes all the way back to the story of Abraham. In Genesis 21:33, Abraham will plant a shell at Beersheba, and it's a tamarisk tree, and the rabbis agree Abraham planted it as this sign of hospitality. And the rabbis, they even take it further. They clarify the heart of hospitality through an acronym built on that Hebrew word, a shell. So the first letter, Aleph, stands for feeding. And sheen, the second letter, stands for drinking. And lamed, the third letter, stands for lodging. So when we look at Simon's hospitality that way, our Pharisee gets full marks, like A plus, Simon. Well done. But the woman who shows up unannounced and unnamed, but somehow pretty well-known. She takes hospitality in this unpredictable and untamed direction, and Jesus holds her actions up as exemplary. But hospitality, it's not a competition. It's an invitation. Jesus invites Simon to this next step in hospitality. Jesus isn't taking away this conventional way of welcoming one another. He's just saying, don't let that limit you. Jesus is saying, yeah, like feeding is fine, but have you tried weeping? And drinking is great, but have you tried wiping each other's tired feet? And lodging is lovely, but have you tried kissing? Jesus looks around the room and out at us from this story and makes this point. Making room for one another, a stranger, a long lost friend, a foe, making room for company like that, it denies your comfort. It opens up your circle. It expands your whole world. This is hospitality that pushes past convention and opts for, well, something that can get pretty awkward, might also feel just clumsy, and is certainly risky. But therein lies the key 
to finally just feeling at home. Allow me a vain example. I've always been a, a bit self-conscious about my ears. I don't really remember where it started. As a kid, I rocked my little alien ears like a star. My Auntie Faye would come home to the farm from Winnipeg, and I'd run over to my grandma's house so Auntie Faye could French braid my hair. I'd pull it all back, just let those little ears show. And maybe hating my ears started in adolescence when young people compare themselves to one another in unrealistic beauty standards. Oh wait, we still do that. And as I got older, I just stopped pulling my hair back. I styled it so that no one could see my ears. I was sure that these ears were just like kind of too low on my head and kind of pointy. Well, one of them was like a little pointier than the other. But then some time passed. And one evening as an adult, I found myself watching Tina Fey on her hit TV show, 30 Rock, and I noticed something that changed my life forever. Tina Fey's ears are kind of low on her head too. And as I watched her, maybe in a scene with Alec Baldwin just killing it, I thought, what am I doing? She is a knockout beauty, not because she fits some ideal proportion or perfection, but because she is freaking Tina Fey. And after that, I started pulling my hair back too. I just started putting all kinds of bobby pins in it, just rocking my ears just the way that they are. When we live in our bodies and brave, awkward conversations, and boldly express our admiration and our love for one another, even if we don't know how it will be returned. When we rock our unique features and we let down our hair and choose to be vulnerable and maybe sometimes messy, but still so sincere and solicitous, when we do all of this with love for people who are like us and people who are so different from us, then, yes, then, we are actually making room for one another, freeing one another to be exactly who we really are. No one needs you to be perfect. We just need you to be real. The late Henry Nouwen, a priest for my soul, says this about those next steps in hospitality. The term hospitality should not be limited to its literal sense of receiving a stranger in our house, although it is important never to forget or neglect that, but as a fundamental attitude toward our fellow human being, which can be expressed in a great variety of ways. And now one goes on to say God alone reveals the spiritual movements in our lives. It's not a movement from weakness to power, but a movement that makes us less and less fearful and more and more open. So the story of Jesus and Simon and this woman, it ends like this. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Now something I have been wondering about in this story is why doesn't Jesus ask the woman to recline at the table with Simon and the others, right? Like wouldn't it have really 
made Jesus' points super clear here? Imagine it, right? Jesus looks from the woman to Simon and the other men around the table and then holds out his hand to this woman while like elbowing the guy next to him and says like, fellas, like shove over. Let's make some room for her. But Jesus doesn't do that. At least that's not the story Luke's gospel tells us. And the theologian Letty Russell walks out an idea that can help us with this. She says that since the beginning of the scriptures, riotous difference, I wanna say those two words together again because I love them, riotous difference has been God's gift to the world. Like think about it. God delights in the differences in creation, calling them good. And God uses different languages to stop people when they compete with the divine and trample on one another in the story of Babel. And God is present in those different languages at Pentecost, not through uniformity, but understanding. Letty Russell says that all of the differences in our midst, the difference of race and gender and sexual orientation and class and political preference and personal histories and culture, all of those differences are actually God's gift to the world. Rather than eliminate the things that make us unique, God would have us pay such close attention to those differences and find something of our shared humanity in each other's stories. That's the power of the scene at Simon's house. Two people, so drastically different from one another, they end up like mutually illuminating one another. Simon can't know himself and see himself without this woman's interruption. And this woman, she can't see herself without this relaxed rabbi reclining at a table. And you can't know who you are until you are face to face with someone who is so different from you. Hospitality in the name of Jesus does not take away what makes you you. Hospitality in the name of Jesus says you being you is a great gift to the world. So no, this woman does not take a seat at the table with Simon and the others. Maybe Jesus knows this is not a place where she will be most free. So she turns from the table and she walks out the door, having encountered love like never before. And I know, I think she's gonna be all right because she carries the peace of Christ with her wherever she goes. Now what about you? Will you pay attention to power? And notice that whether you have a little of it or whether you have a lot, everyone is drawn to God in their own way. And will you allow the stories of other people to take up some space inside of you and to actually change you? The story can be real or it can even be made up. It can be found in a podcast or a parable or the playground where your kids hang out. And will you take the next step in hospitality? You know, just let down your hair. Risk being seen. Allow raw honesty and emotion to be your guide. Someone else's freedom may very well depend on it.
you know what, whatever you choose, you are always welcome here. And more, I deeply believe this, you have something to teach us. So please join me as we pray together. Our loving God, your welcome stretches out to us through the stories of one another. You meet us in riotous difference. There are so many things we struggle against to find ourselves most free. We struggle with our fear. We struggle with our isolation. We struggle with our insecurity. And still, none of those barriers keep you away. So Jesus, as you meet us in the story of two very different people who have a lot to teach each other, may we also see these differences as gifts And may we pay such close attention to how you are healing us and renewing us in the middle of it all. So spirit of the living God, present with us now. Enter the places of our vulnerability, our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our connections. And God, will you heal us of all that harms us. Amen.